0: For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, will lift up his friends. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. And so over these weeks here from, from Easter up through the next couple weeks here, uh, we're just kind of thinking about how do we uh, grow in the traits. How do we grow in in the attitude and actions of just being encouragers, people who lift the lives of other people? All of us probably do things that encourage other people, um, but we can all grow in that. And and I hope that these weeks will help us to be doers of that. And so last week, we, we unpacked how to be better encouragers. And we looked at the great example in the Bible, the New Testament, of the man named Barnabas. But our goal in this is not to just for you to be just a shallow encourager. That's not anything wrong with that. But people who just walk around and say, you know what, I, I think your shirt's really nice, your sweater's pretty, or your feet aren't quite as ugly as the hobbit feet I saw on TV one time. Those are all encouraging, shallow things that we can say to each other. But really, the heart of this, we define it this way. This is a quote from Rick, actually, that I think he defined encouragement in this way. That says, to encourage is to motivate others in the direction of Jesus. And that's what this is about. It's about saying, what can I do? The passage we looked at last week from the book of Hebrews, it says, consider how you can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so how do we do that? That involves intentional thought and involves intentionality on our part. Say, what can I do um, to help that person either think about Jesus, lean into Jesus, know the help of Jesus? What can I do? And so last week we looked at how Barnabas kind of gave people second chances, how he saw the good in people. He was willing to risk some of his, some of his own collateral in his life to, to help out other people, a guy named Paul. And so... Today we want to look at a second example of that, and each of these weeks we're looking at an individual from the New Testament that illustrates this truth, and today we're going to look at another gentleman that you've probably not thought a lot about, um, but his name is Onesiphorus, and uh, as we think about him today, um, I, I hope that you'll be encouraged and you'll, you'll know him more, and when you think of his name and you see it in the pages of the Bible, you're going to be thinking, man, that, that guy was an encourager of of Paul. And so here's where we want to start though, okay? I've got a little Dr. Seuss rhyme here that I came up with. I'm not a very rhymy person, but I did come up with this. This is kind of the heart of what I want us to say today and I want you to think about it here with me, okay? It says this, "In moments of despair, when we wonder if anyone cares, our lives are changed by those who are there." Now, you read that statement, I just want you to think with me for a second. Think back to moments where you were despairing and maybe those are small things, maybe they're huge things, but life moments where you felt despair... Um, and, and think about that. And, and we all do that, by the way. This is Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo to you. I don't know why that matters here. But I did have a, a funny little thing that I saw this morning that I put up here that says this. that It's okay if you fall apart sometimes because tacos fall apart and we still love them. Okay, And so maybe as you think about Cinco de Mayo, there's your preacher Cinco de Mayo reference. Okay, And so um, we'll move on now. And so back to my quote. All right, And so in moments of despair, and we all have them, we all have those moments where it feels like life is just... Just, there's a desperation to it. There's a sense of brokenness. There's something that's not going right in our life. In moments of despair, and what does despair make us do? It makes us think, oh, I'm hurting. Does anybody care about that? Does God care? Do people care? Does anybody care? And I will bet you that if you think back to those moments in your life, you will have a very clear recollection of who was there when that happened. Good or bad, right? And, and so I, I made a list of my own little things in my life, and I, my life has been very, very kind. God's been kind and sheltered me from a few things so far. But, um, but just thinking back some, some times in my life, just a few weeks ago, um, my daughter got in a car accident, mentioned a few weeks ago. But I will never forget pulling up to that scene and seeing two people that I knew who had stops, who had helps, and were a part of that. I will never forget those faces because in a moment of despair, I thought, well, man, who's helping my daughter when she's far away from us? and Or not far away, but just far enough away that I, co- I wasn't there and I couldn't do anything about it. But I remember the people that were there in that moment. I remember many, many years ago, we, our f- kids were very young, my uh, my. F- my wife's family lived in Des Moines at the time and we had made a trip to Des Moines and we were driving to the big city of Des Moines and all of a sudden our van just quit. And I like, this is not a good thing. And so uh, we're stuck there and, and we're thinking, okay, well, I'm assuming it's the transmission. I'm assuming it's just completely dead and it's an old van and it's not worth fixing. and So we're looking at buying new vans. We're looking at all these different things because we're in despair and you make crazy decisions when you're in despair. But I will never forget two people, Albert and Todd, who drove overnight from our home in Illinois with a car carrier loaded it up took it back and by the time uh, I forget how we got home we may have walked I don't know Uh, or camel one of the two but we somehow we got from back to from Des Moines Illinois and um, they had fixed my car and it was ready to go and I will never forget that because in a moment of despair I wondered, does anybody care and I'll never forget who was there and there's other things, other places, when we were first starting out the whole parenthood journey, we were pregnant, I was working two jobs, I was working two jobs, just to try to make, pay for that, because we didn't realize babies were expensive before we started that whole process, and so we realized that's going to cost us some money, but I remember a group of preachers, Charlie and a bunch of guys that I knew at that time, who just showed up in a moment where I felt a little despair, I wondered, does anybody care, and I remember who was there. And so I just want you to think about that with me today. As you think about this whole thing of encouragement, all of us need and can be a part of of answering that in a positive way because there's a negative side to that statement, right? Maybe you've been through times of despair and you wondered if anybody cares and there was nobody there and those hurt and uh, those are not good times for us. Um, but I want us to think about this in a positive term today Especially with the example of Onesiphorus We're going to look at here today And so I want to show you this story from this week There's a, This was one of my favorite stories I saw this week There's a woman who lived in somewhere in Canada I don't, I'm not great with my territories in Canada But somewhere in Canada And she had lived next door to this high school And she was the waving lady, right? And so I just want you to take a look at this story And just think about the difference of her being there And, and when others came and were there for her as well So if you go ahead and take a look at that I thought well if they're looking in i'll wave to them and that's how it started That to say goodbye to me and so that illustrates the idea of just the power of of there and that's really what we want to think about today and, and that wasn't just one day of waving that was years and years and years of building up just presence and the power of presence the power of being there and how that is an encouraging principle that that when you and I really latch onto that and realize the difference that I may not be the smartest um, Tack in the drawer. I can't even know the friend I'm not the smartest guy in the in the room. I may not know all the answers. I may not know what to do all the time. I may not even know what to say all the time. But just the power of being there is is a principle that I want you to think about with me here today. And so no one has ever said in their lifetime, you know what, I've got all the encouragement I need. You don't need to encourage me. That's never going to be a true statement in our life. Life is always hard. Life is always bringing back moments of despair to us. And so we have to stop and think about how do we cultivate an attitude and an atmosphere of encouragement in our life and around us and so that the people around us... um, are continually nudged in the direction of Jesus. And so we're going to look at a situation from the life of Paul that um, is is a moment of despair in his life. And it's a very serious one. If you read the story of the Bible, sometimes you find Paul in prison and his mood is decent. His his mood is okay. And and why that is is that there's really, in, in the New Testament, at least two different times when Paul ends up in prison. The first one is when he writes books like Philippians and other letters that he's imprisoned at that time. It's not a good place, but it's basically house arrest is what he's under. He's in house arrest, and, and so people can come and go. People can bring him things. There's no threat. He, he really thinks he's probably going to get out, um, and he does eventually. And, and so that's the first imprisonment. But there's a second imprisonment that when you read books like 2 Timothy, that this is not house arrest. This is stuck in a dungeon, and he knows he's going to die soon. And so those are two very different moods, right? One is, yes, this is inconvenient, but God's using it for all kinds of good things. The other is, I'm about to die. I, I've been arrested for preaching the gospel. The, the Romans think we Christians are traitors, and, and they're just trying to eradicate the empire of us. And so Paul's in prison. He's about to be executed by Nero, and it's a very desperate time in his life. And so there, as you read the book of Second Timothy, you find that Paul is, is reaching out and kind of just writing to Timothy, his, his disciple, his son in the faith, and, and he's trying to speak into his life saying, look, this is where I'm struggling. He's very open. He's very honest about that. And this is what he writes in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. It says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. This is a place where Paul has ministered for years. He had lots of relationships, a lot of connections. And so as he writes from Rome to this province of Asia, to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, everyone in Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. And so he highlights these two people as an example of those. I I thought they would have come. I, I thought they would have risked coming to see me, but they haven't. And so he says, may the Lord show mercy the household of Onesiphorus because he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many, how many ways he has helped me in Ephesus. And so what did Onesiphorus do for Paul? He refreshed him. He encouraged him. He walked into a place to a desperate time in Paul's life and whether he brought food, which Paul would have not had food on the Romans wouldn't have fed him. It was completely dependent upon other people. Clothing, medicine, uh, news. Paul would have been desperate to know how the churches are doing. How are, how are people doing that I've invested my life in? But Onesiphorus showed up and he refreshed him. He encouraged him. And you know how he did it? Of all the things Paul says that he did for him, He was just there. He was there. The power and the idea that of everybody who didn't come, my life was changed because he came and he was there. And so what discouraged Paul, really, as you read those letters, read the rest of this letter, and he mentions this idea several different places. In chapter 4, he talks about the pain of of just no one being there at different times when he stood trial before Nero and others. He says this in chapter 4, verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to my supports, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. He's not bitter about it. He's just understanding that that hurts. But the Lord stood at my side and and gave me strength. And so he understood this whole idea that, that yes, I'm hurt, this hurt, nobody showed up. But I'm not done with my faith. Jesus didn't abandon me. Jesus is faithful. I'm going to continue to press on. That's what he writes about in earlier chapter 4 when he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He says, look, I'm not done with Jesus just because his people maybe hurt me a little bit or disappointed me. I still love Jesus. Still going to serve Jesus. Still going to die for Jesus soon. But boy, it would have been nice if people would have been there. And so earlier in chapter 1, this whole book, he, he reflects in several places about people that are meaningful to him. And when you've gone through moments of despair and you've asked the question, does anybody care? Boy, your heart is, is drawn towards the people that are there for you in those moments. And he does that in chapter 1, even as he thinks about Timothy, the, man, the young man that he's writing to. He says, "'I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors and "'with a clear conscience as night and day. "'I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers.'" Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And so his memories take him to people that encourage him and refresh him and help him. And then later at the end of the book, in chapter four, he mentions again, greet Priscilla and Aquila, people who were faithful friends. He says, "Hey, if they were here in Rome, they would be here with me." And also, greet the household of Onesiphorus. And so this name keeps coming up a couple, three different times in this letter. And so what do we learn from Onesiphorus that can help us to be better encouragers of people? And there's four things I just want to highlight here out of his life, his interaction with Paul. And the first is this. That Onesiphorus illustrates to us and for us the power and the beauty of simply being there. Again, I don't know anything. We don't know anything else about Onesiphorus. We're not told. He doesn't show up any place else in Scripture, really. Uh, But the one thing that you know about him is that he showed up. He was there for Paul in a time when Paul was very, very desperate Now, I want you to understand and think about this. This wasn't just a a matter of taking a right turn into the jail and a left turn in McDonald's kind of thing. This is a serious thing when you think about where Paul is and what's going on. And there are reasons that people have kind of distanced themselves from Paul because Paul is a scary figure to be associated with in that moment. Um, We have several friends that have had missionary, or not not official missionaries, but people who have been in places like China and other places where they have been... They're doing other jobs, but they've certainly had an evangelistic effort to them. And uh, even the preacher nearby here whose kids are in that situation, but, but the Chinese government has really cracked down on that. So in order to find all the people that are spreading the gospel, they, they interrogate people and threaten people to say, hey, who are your, who are your contacts? Who, who's telling you about this whole Jesus thing? And, and so many people have had to leave and, and flee places like that because of that. And so that's the same thing Paul is dealing with. Paul is sitting in a prison cell. The Romans think he is a traitor. They think he is unfaithful to the Roman government. They see him as a threat, and he is going to be eliminated very soon. And so if you chose to not just go to the jail, there's multiple uh, dungeons and multiple jails in Rome. And for you to go and knock on the door and say, um, I'm here to see Paul. Uh, if you could excuse me, I'd like to talk with him and share with him and bring some stuff to him that immediately connects you with him. And that puts your life, your life, your well-being at risk. You very well could be left there as well. And so when Paul commends Onesiphorus for what he's doing, he understands this is not an easy thing. He understands that it's not hard for people. He understands why people are, are ashamed, is the word he uses, of his chains, because there's danger involved. This is hard stuff. This is not an easy thing. And so, but Paul also understands the desperate, the hunger he has in his heart for someone to be there. He knows Jesus is great. He loves Jesus. He's going to die for Jesus but boy, it would be great for someone to be there with him in that moment. And we can relate to that. We all feel that from different times and in different ways, in our different moments of despair. And so that leads us kind of the second thing I just want you to think about is that, that being there, as Onesiphorus did, is one of those things that we all hunger for. We can relate to Paul, and when he writes what he writes here in this passage, we relate to it, we understand that longing, that hunger um, for someone to be there in our life and we all have the ability to do it. I don't think I made a complete sentence there, did I? Is being there is what we all hunger for, and we all have the ability to do, to do it. Okay, write an it at the end of that sentence, sorry. Um, My English teacher would be ashamed of me. She would distance herself from me right now. And so, uh, but the ability to do it, right? And so this is not one of those things I want us to just have a pity party and remember the time someone wasn't there for us. That's the past, okay? That is what it is. But this is about you and I, and being a people who think, hey, to the best of my ability, I want to leverage the power of being there um, for others, so that others won't have that burden, won't have that struggle, And, and... the beauty of it is, I love the story that I heard this week. This this picture that I want to show you is is a picture of a lady by the name of Penny Brown and Kevin Steffen, uh, which CBS nicely put on the on the labels for, therefore, uh, for you. Um, and then the reason that those two people are in a picture is that um, Penny is an ER nurse, and there was a night several years ago when she was um, got her, was free from her shift, and her eleven-year-old son was playing little league baseball, and so she went from the hospital to. To the Little League game. And in the course of, of the Little League game, there was an accidental bat swing that hit a kid in the chest and it stopped his heart. And so this kid falls to the ground. She, being an ER nurse, was able to use her skills to be able to revive him with her CPR and magic nursing skills and bring him back to life, and, and he was fine. Well, seven, eight years later, she's in a restaurant, and and she is eating her food, and she begins to choke, and she can't dislodge what's in her throat. And the waiter at that restaurant was Kevin Steffen, and he immediately saw what was going on, came up to her, and used the Heimlich to free and dislodge the food, and she was fine. And, and, and as they were talking in the connections following that incident, they realized that, that the young man that Penny Brown had saved years ago was Kevin Steffen, and then Kevin Steffen turned around and saved her. And that's the picture here that I think the Bible puts before us, that, that we all need this. We all need that power of presence to be a reality in our life. We need to give that. Um, because not only is it memorable when you're the person who's thinking in your moments of despair that, hey, this was really nice and great that they were there. But there's also a joy and a connection that's formed in the person who chooses to be there. That in that moment, you remember that for a long, long time. Because there's not just a physical presence, but there's an emotional transaction that takes place when you walk into someone else's despair, someone else's worry, someone else's a fear, and some of that gets transferred to you, and it begins to make a difference in your life. And so there's this mutuality that I think that not only do I hunger for it, but I have the ability to do this in the lives of other people. And it ought to be both ways. In a healthy environment, it's going both ways. And so we all have the ability to do it, but that leads to the third thing I want you to see, that that being there requires little. Again, you don't have to be a PhD. You don't have to have a degree in counseling to be there for people, but it may cost you much. It may cost you. Um, even though it requires very little. One of the beautiful pictures that that the Bible talks about is is this picture uh, in Matthew 25, where Jesus comes and he tells this parable at the end of Matthew 25 of the sheep and the goats. Remember that parable? Where it's a judgment scene that God separates the sheep from the goats, and then he commends the sheep um, for what they did well. And in doing so, he doesn't link a long list of things that are really, really hard to do. He doesn't go through and say, well, man, you got your advanced degree in caring for people. And then you set up this elaborate ministry that did this. He, he Simple things. They were thirsty. You showed up with a glass of water. They were hungry. And you showed up with some food. They were naked. And you showed up with clothes. They were in jail. And you showed up to visit them. Paul, example of that. Um, And on and on, simple little things that simply leverage the power of being there at its best. And so he commends them for that. And so while it requires little, it's not extravagant. There's a cost to it. And so what's the cost? It oftentimes is in much more internal things. The cost is things like this. It, It requires you to be selfless instead of selfish. Looking at someone else's situation saying, you know what? I'm going to step into that and I'm going to be there. Requires a selfless decision. Um, You need more self to be more selfless. Onesiphorus didn't sit around thinking before he went to Paul in Rome, what's in this for me? Maybe I can go visit the Colosseum while they're there. I hear that's really cool. I've seen the pictures of that. And and I'll go see the Colosseum when in Rome. And by the way, I'll go see Paul. Though this was very much a, I know there's a, a risk to myself in doing this. But I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. Or maybe it's not just being selfless. Maybe it requires us to be intentionally aware, to look beyond our own little circle, our own little bubble, and realize, you know what? I'm not the only person with problems. I'm not the only person who has hurts in my life. Just being aware of other people. And that's exactly what uh, Onesiphorus does. He, He could have stayed in Asia Minor or wherever he was at and said, you know what? I'm busy. i got things to do. I've got my thing going on here. But if, however he does this, he, he leaves all that behind, goes to Rome, and he finds Paul after much effort. The implication then that little word that was in that text that it says he, he searched for me isn't just he looked a couple days. This is an ongoing search as he went from jail to jail to jail to jail looking for Paul. Each time he did it, putting himself at personal risk because he was aware that, you know what, Paul is probably struggling right now. He's probably hurting. He's probably lonely. He needs someone with him. So that intentional awareness drove him to Paul. Number three, level of humility. Um, uh, Onesiphorus is not one of the guys in the Bible whose name is splashed all over the pages. He's not well-known. We don't know much about him. Uh, But an encourager isn't really worried about being known and noticed. Really good encouragers don't care if anybody knows because you know what, Paul's alone and I'm going to go to him. And Paul may write about that, he may never say a word about it, but I did the right thing because I care about him. So there's this level of humility that I know God knows it's the right thing to do, so I'm going to go and I'm going to be. And finally, it requires courage. Um, It may cost you a level of courage. Onesiphorus, again, is a very bold man. Again, to walk up to the guards that were guarding Paul and say, I'd like to speak with your uh, prisoner who's about to be executed by your government. Um, was a risky move for him to make, and looking for Paul was dangerous. And for you and I, I, most likely, you're not going to be visiting a death row inmate. Maybe you will. Nothing wrong with that if you do. But most of the situations that we deal with are not going to be that extreme, but there's always going to be a cost to it. I'm either going to have to maybe sacrifice time that I would have done something for me to go help somebody else, or maybe there's courage involved that, hey, this person's kind of got, maybe there's been failure, or maybe there's been struggle, or maybe there's hurt, or maybe there's fear. And, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've stood before a hospital door or a hospital room or outside someone's house, and you know on the other side of the door is a lot of fear because something really bad has just been learned, or, or there's a lot of pain because of something that happened. And you don't know what to say. You don't know, there's no magic words that you're going to walk in there and say. And so, Sometimes it requires the courage to say, you know what, this scares me. This is way outside my comfort zone, but it's the right thing to do. Because the power of being there is worth the risk. It's worth any level of courage. It's worth the sacrifice that I may have to make uh, to take some of that on myself just to be there with this person in this. And here's why this matters so, so much. The last thing is this, that God's presence is often experienced most through your presence, God has designed life and spiritual life in such a way that God is always present. But the beauty of why church exists and why community is part of that life um, in the church is that God's presence is often experienced most through your presence in someone else's life. And so when we ask the question, man, in my moment of despair, does anybody care one of the ways that God answers that question is by a brother or sister stepping into that and saying, you know what, this is hard. I'm sorry this has happened. Let me just sit here with you. Let me walk with you down this path through these things. I don't know answers. I don't, I'm not smart. I don't have all this stuff, but I'm here. And so if you need to talk, if you just need, there's just something comforting about someone being there. So when you and I think about why does it matter to practice a, a level of encouragement like Onesiphorus does, it's this whole idea that when God is looking to say, how do I meet the needs of the world? How do I comfort hurting hearts? How do I, I help scared people? He equips you and I and puts us in places through your work and through your community, through your neighborhood, through your church to say, hey, I just, I'm just going to be there. And there's power in that. And there's help in that. And God shows up and comforts and helps and encourages people through that. And so what I would just want to encourage you this week is to think about who needs the power of being there to be at work in their life. And this is a busy time for a lot of people. And so maybe it requires some sacrifice. Maybe it requires some intentional awareness, some intentional prayer to say, God, I'm gonna leave my house this morning and I bet you before this morning is over, I'm gonna interact with somebody who just needs just for a moment, just maybe whatever circumstance, just somebody to be there. So help me to be willing to be that person in that person's life. All for the point and the purpose of trying to nudge them in the direction of Jesus. And so God encourages our hearts when we go through those moments, when we feel despair and we wonder, does anybody care? God's answer is like, I sent my people there. Would you pray with me, please?